is Andy Wakefield, and this is the Andy Wakefield Podcast. This is a place where stories are told that have never been heard before. Welcome back. Here we are, episode 13. Dr. Andy Wakefield, nice to see you again. Laurie, it's great to be back. So, extracting you from the editing booth of the 1986 The Act film, which is nearing end of its production, so exciting. I've had a chance to uh, see a little bit and share some with some folks, and early reviews are really fantastic. We're really looking forward to this. The world is waiting. Great, Laurie. Yeah, no, we're back on uh, the... The subject of mumps, is that We right? are, we are. So we have a part two. We have our second cup of tea. We're sitting by the fire and we're ready for the next chapter in this saga of mumps. Right. Well, so let's round off with England. We, 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 we really dealt with the problem of the Arabi strain mumps vaccine in the MMR made by SmithKline Beecham, who latterly become, of course, GlaxoSmithKline in the UK. And what we had there was a problem of a vaccine that was overreactive and causing meningitis, a problem that was known to the authorities. They tried to cover it up. They wanted the home team, Smith, Klein, Beecham, to make the profit. They made a huge mistake. The vaccine had to be withdrawn from the market in the UK. It's interesting, just a little postscript to that, and that is that the, the vaccine manufacturers at the time knew they had a problem with this vaccine and were reluctant to introduce it in the UK. But such was the will of the British government to do it that they appear to have been given an indemnity. Now, this is an interesting issue because this indemnity seems to be referred to in the minutes of the JCVI, the Joint Committee on Vaccination Immunization in the UK, which we were able to obtain in the GMC proceedings, the General Medical Council proceedings. Is that like a CDC of Britain? Or? No, the GMC is a sort of medical regulator. And this is where in the issue that we were having our licenses taken away for the Lancet paper. But we were able to get discovery, if you like, of, of, of these minutes. Huh. And what we found in there is this clear reference to the fact the words were Smith, Klein, Beecham continue to sell the Urabi vaccine without liability. Now, when David Salisbury, you'll remember David Salisbury, he was a pediatrician who ended up ironically in charge of the health of every child in the country as head of the medical secretariat mm. at the Department of Health mm-hmm. in charge of vaccination, mm-hmm. that when challenged on this, he denied any knowledge of a an indemnity given to the pharmaceutical company in the UK. This would have been, I'm told, illegal to have given such an indemnity. But there in the minutes, it says, Smith, Klein, Beecham continue to sell the Urabi MMR without liability. And so that, come on, that, David, someone's lying here. Someone is not being honest truthful. with us. Now, is David a part of this joint committee, or is yeah, he? Yeah, he's on the he's, he's on the he's committee. He's the medical se- secretariat member, and but there in the minutes it says it, and he denies it. But let's, David, David, it's your committee. It's your, you are part of the secretariat that I'm, as I understand it, draws up those minutes, in which it says Smith, Klein, Beecham continued to sell the Urabi strain vaccine without liability, and yet you deny any knowledge of it. Can't have come, it both come, ways. David. Come, come, really. So there you go. That's what happened in the UK. They had to go to Merck and get hold of Merck's Gerald Lynn strain of mumps vaccine, which appeared to be, at least in the context of meningitis, much safer. Mm. And that's where we leave the UK story, at least for now. Let me come to the US. And the US 
had this strain of vaccine which uh, Morris Hilleman had uh, taken a swab from his daughter, Gerald Lynn, taken it down to the lab and grown the virus from which he made the Gerald Lynn strain of mumps, which is now the predominant strain used worldwide, certainly in the Merck vaccine. Wow. Then he went to, he made the single mumps vaccine and he went to the CDC and he said, I want you to put a mumps vaccine on the schedule. And they said, look, mumps is a trivial disease. We don't need a mumps vaccine. Mumps isn't a big problem. It doesn't cost a lot. So mm-hmm. um, we don't need it. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. But what Merck appeared to want to do is to corner the market for measles vaccine by getting mumps onto the market, making a triple MMR vaccine, and then making that the vaccine of choice so that it put the other manufacturers of the single measles vaccine out of business. And that's exactly what happened, that Merck now own a monopoly on measles vaccine in the US by virtue of the fact that they own the mumps vaccine component of the preferred MMR. Mm. Now, that vaccine, even though Merck must have gloated somewhat when Salisbury had to go cap in hand to beg for their MMR, um, it's not been without its problems. And indeed, uh, sticking to really what's in the public domain, those problems are now playing out in in federal court in Pennsylvania, where two whistleblowers from the Merck lab have come forward and said, we were asked to commit fraud, the vaccine was failing. The FDA had challenged Merck on saying, look, you've said this vaccine is 95, 96% efficacious, meaning it protects 96 people out of 100 people vaccinated. Mm. And yet we're seeing outbreaks of mumps around the world using your vaccine in highly vaccinated populations, people who've received two, three doses of the vaccine. It's not working as you say it's working. Either you prove that it works or you lose your license. And that was clearly a massive problem for Merck because if they had to go back to the single measles vaccine, it opened up the market for everybody. Mm. All their competitors would be right back in there. So they had two choices, it appears. One was to improve the vaccine in the interests of people and one, the other was to fake the data on the vaccine in the interests of Merck. So this is this is term. this was an FDA request. This was not a patent expiration. No, this was a, this was an FDA request according to these whistleblowers. And so they decided to fake the data. And uh, that's what they did. They, and they the, murk, not they the whistleblowers. Murk. That's right. The whistleblowers were asked to do it. And they said, this is fraud. We're not getting involved. And, and so it continued. And, and it was a business decision. It led to Merck being sued under the Whistleblower Act in federal court in Pennsylvania. So that's where we are now. And that court, that case has been going on for a decade or so, and it needs to be resolved as quickly as possible in the interests of the public. Because, again, what we're seeing around the world are outbreaks of mumps vaccine in mumps disease in highly vaccinated populations. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not just a problem of efficacy. This is not just a problem of you are not protected against the disease as you have been told you are protected against the disease. It's a problem of safety. Why? Because a mumps, mumps disease in children is trivial. Okay, the CDC said we, we don't need this mumps vaccine because it's, it's, it's harmless. It's not hurting children at all. The vaccine somehow managed to get onto the market nonetheless, such as the power and persuasion of the pharmaceutical mm-hmm. industry. But mumps in children is trivial. Mumps in adults, particularly post-pubertal males, is not trivial. And it leads to testicular inflammation and can lead 
to sterility. Mm. So if you have a vaccine that only works for a relatively short period of time and then makes you susceptible again to mumps, then it pushes up the age of susceptibility to a time when it is a more dangerous disease. So a vaccine that does not work is a more dangerous vaccine. Mumps vaccination has made mumps a more dangerous disease. This is one of those other unintended but nonetheless somewhat predictable consequences of vaccines. And yet it was completely ignored by the vaccine policymakers. Uh, and now we find ourselves in this terrible di dilemma of having a huge population of post-pubertal males who are vulnerable to mumps. And quick question, Andy, is the mumps portion of the MMR one of those vaccines that has a live virus where it would shed or would be spread just by its use, or is it dormant or dead, or how does that work? I will come to that, Laurie. Oh. That is a very interesting question, but yes, it is a live <coughs> viral vaccine. Ah. So MMR is a combination of three live, live viral vaccines. What happened next? We have a situation in which mumps is resurgent. It's occurring in many, many highly vaccinated populations. There is no population that is more highly vaccinated than our military. Mm. As you know, they're lined up and given all kinds of shots, some of which they know about, some of which they're never told about the uh, source of the shot. Um, they're just told, soldier, get in line, you're going to get this vaccine. Well, this is now a this outbreak of mumps is a threat to national security. I mean, there was a, a warship that was quarantined out in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. It was circling for months right. at sea. It could not put to land because there was an outbreak of mumps on board in a group of sailors, all of whom were fully, fully vaccinated. So it's a disaster. It's not only a disaster, it's a threat to national security. And those are young men, probably in the prime age of childbearing years, and risking sterility, I mean, that just sounds like a nightmare. It is, and I no doubt that more litigation is going to follow from uh, this Merck case once the truth is established. Now, here comes the exquisite irony. This is a personal story. You know that <laughs> the media have a habit of blaming me for just about everything, <laughs> right. and I, I think I'm probably going to get the blame for coronavirus. <laughs> somewhere. Uh, You're somewhere the scapegoat, the yes. Um, but I had a call from my mother the other day, and her sister, my aunt's um, granddaughter, uh, had gone to nursing school. And such was the concern of our extended family about the safety of vaccines that she had not, to that point, been vaccinated. She'd certainly not received MMR, and they said they would not admit her to nursing school if she didn't have the MMR vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so she was very keen to be a nurse, and she went ahead uh, and got the MMR vaccine. Well, lo and behold, two weeks later, she developed a severe, full-blown case of mumps. Oh, no. And she had to go home and stay at home where she gave mumps to her oh, husband no. and to her son. Well, that's interesting because there you have a live viral vaccine undoubtedly causing a disease. And not only that, the disease is transmissible. So the son goes to school because at this point he doesn't know he's got mumps. And suddenly there's an outbreak of oh. mumps in 
the school. No. It's astonishing. It kind of answers all of your questions about the potential problems of a transmissible live viral vaccine. That the, the CDC is, said we didn't need. We didn't need. And yet they're literally creating demand and creating a market for it by spreading the disease, which then causes people to, in their delusion, that this actually is a vaccine that works, demand it. Well, the, it's a backwards It's backwards. The story gets world. even worse because oh, no. what happens is that the doctors that she went to initially didn't recognize it. They didn't know this was mumps uh, because... I guess they don't see mumps anymore, but Mm so they didn't know it was mumps, so they misdiagnosed it and then treated it with antibiotics, which was totally inappropriate, and didn't swab her, never swabbed her. And so, of course, there was a complete failure at the public health level of establishing that what we have here is a mumps outbreak that is being caused by a vaccine strain virus without a shadow of a doubt. But, of course, we won't have the sequencing studies to determine whether it's the vaccine strain of the mumps because of the medical and public health incompetence in this respect. So this is blamed upon me. (laughs) It's blamed on me because the next thing that happens in the national press is that the Wakefield cohorts, they call them, the Wakefield cohorts are responsible for this outbreak of mumps because these are the people who presumably when oh. Wakefield caused the scare about MMR never got mumps vaccine. Did they know she they was related no to you? They have no evidence for that whatsoever. Did, did they know she was related to you? That is hilarious. <laughs> well, you are the OG, right? You're I the OG. Whatever that is, I'm the OG. <clears throat> the old gangster, yeah. The old gangster of anti-vaccine. But there you, go. there you had this wonderful, how it all comes home. You think you've heard the last of it and then you haven't. Suddenly I'm being blamed it, for if, an outbreak of if mumps. If this were in a movie, People would say, oh, that would never just happen. Making That's stuff. the worst plot ever. That would never happen. It's not believable. And yet here it is. There it is. Yeah. That's so, unbelievable. Um, it all comes home. So we never needed this vaccine. We've got it. It's made mumps a much more dangerous disease. There are outbreaks of mumps associated with the vaccine strain of the virus. Who knows where this is all going to end? It's mm-hmm. an extraordinary situation. But Merck, I'm sure, will fight tooth and nail now to uh, to preserve their vaccine. The final irony is, of course, that England, the UK, has taken on the mumps strain from Merck, which has failed. So we have a failing mumps strain in the English MMR made by GlaxoSmithKline because they took the strain from Merck, which did not elicit an adequate immune response. So England has gone from having an overreactive virus that produced meningitis to what seems to be an underreactive virus that's failing to produce immunity. Uh, it's, it's an astonishing, all of the assumptions that have been made about our ability to exert dominion over live viral vaccines come home to roost in this little story. And we're really no better off. We don't need this vaccine. Really, we need to step back from this, dissociate the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine into single vaccines, give people absolute choice over whether they want it or not. Absolutely. Well, we've stop. seen we've said, seen the headlines in the United States for the past couple of years. 2017, I remember a headline in the Boston Globe about students at Harvard that were in the freshman class. There were 38 or 39 cases of mumps that were diagnosed. And Massachusetts is one of those states as Connecticut just introduced a bill that anyone going to college in Connecticut has to get boosters. In Massachusetts, if you go to college in a Massachusetts school, you have to get boosters. Same in California. So all of those freshmen at Harvard, 
in all likelihood received an MMR booster in order to attend. And we don't know for sure. We can't say. We don't have the scientific evidence. They weren't swabbed, so we don't know. But it certainly stands to reason that there's a good possibility that those cases, the outbreaks that we're seeing, are derived from the vaccine itself. I'm just shocked at how this has continued to be underreported in the media. And we are seeing, you know, stories that forever skew toward pharma and mesmerizing us into this hypnotic trance to believe that vaccines are safe and effective, safe and effective. They keep trying to bake in this mantra, right, so that we just won't even question the truth when we hear it. Yeah, we have a situation where not only is the, has their arrogance and their incompetence generated a major, major public health problem, but in the absence of their failure, for example, in this situation in the UK to swab and identify the strain origin of this virus, but to misdiagnose it as some bacterial infection that they treat with antibiotics, that we now have an outbreak of mumps in the UK that is then being blamed on someone else. Let's find someone else to blame. Let's take people's attention away from the fact that we have really messed up and we have a vaccine that not only doesn't work, but has made mumps a more dangerous disease. And the reality is, even if they had swabbed it and determined it was the Gerilin strain and was vaccine-derived, would we have even heard it? Oh, I doubt it Would we much. even know? Would, would that be information that would be shared with the public? No, I think Probably that, would, that would, what we, would be what's called commercially sensitive information. Ah, oh, is that so what we it wouldn't is? Know. So um, that's what they tend to label that sort of thing as. But um, Unbelievable. I mean, watch this space, but it's, it's almost predictable what's going to happen. Um, well, we know in 2015, I think, with the summary judgment or the, I believe it was a request on Merck's behalf to dismiss the case was denied. And that's why the case has continued to proceed. Is there a chance it will go to court and we will get that juicy opportunity for discovery? Or do you think that this is something that will settle in order to avoid that notion? I fear that it will settle. I think that um, there are several reasons for thinking that, that you know, the Department of Justice may step in and say, you need to settle this case, or the lawyers uh, may see a huge payday coming and want to settle and not take the risk of losing in court. But this is an, an issue that is very, very much in the public interest. And it would be a great sadness if we reached a situation where a settlement was made and that settlement included a vow of silence, oh. that there should be nothing said about the outcome and no admission of guilt. Mm -hmm. And that would not be in the best interests of the public. So, uh, but that, you know, money is, you know, a powerful motivator. And let's, mm -hmm. let's see how that one plays out. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I've shared nothing with you that isn't in the public domain already, and, and certainly the rest is speculation. We shall just have to see. But it really does need to be resolved sooner rather than later so that the story can be told. Is that the end of the mump saga for now, or do we have a part three? Well, I would say to you, Laurie, this, there it will inevitably be a part three. In mm -hmm. fact, there will be a part ten. We don't have one now <laughs> because <laughs> of the way in which public health and the pharmaceutical industry behave. It is absolutely inevitable that we will have more stories to tell. Well, as our listeners are probably wondering what your thoughts are on this, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think we're making an impact, Andy? Do you think we're making a difference? We have the opioid crisis now. 
the public is, you know, the veil is starting to be peeled back on the altar of science as the almighty. Do you think that the tide is turning? Are we making a difference? Yes. The, one of the reasons for the anger, the resentment, the, the vindictiveness of the public health rhetoric, the mandatory vaccine laws, the threats to doctors and scientists who question vaccine safety, taking children from their parents, censorship across all social media platforms, the label, the pejorative label of anti-vaxxers, all of these things, the attacks in, rather like the story that we reviewed a, a week or so ago on uh, on Vice, yes. uh, the on the television program, mm -hmm. this bias, this one-sided, this dogmatic um, and divisive anger is all, to me, an indication that they are hurting very, very badly. Mm. They are uncertain how to contain mm -hmm. this growing wave of dissent, mm -hmm. and they won't. Mm. They will never contain it. Do you think that the coronavirus hysteria and panic and propaganda push that we're seeing, because I'm sure some of it's propaganda, I don't know which is and which isn't, but I'm, I'm just wondering if that isn't an indication of desperation as well. You know, I don't know. We um, don't know. It, you know, there's the child, the boy who cried wolf. I, I simply don't know. And I think we have to, at least for the moment, treat it very seriously mm -hmm. and do our research. It would be a mistake to dismiss concerns about coronavirus. You underestimate these viruses at your peril, and we just have to keep an open mind on that. But Is they do have, they undoubtedly created an aura of, you know, of skepticism, mm -hmm. indeed cynicism, about you know the ability of public health to deal with these issues, particularly in view of the fact that they've tried to sell us these things many, many times before. And, and that could be dangerous around. as well. You don't want to be skeptic and skeptical. I think you that's have to right. be very so, cautious, right? So be, we must be very cautious. But uh, would it surprise me if it turned out to be largely a hyped story? It wouldn't surprise me. There's a, there's a historical pattern of that. We're talking about 50 years of hyped stories of microbes and viruses. So, I mean, it wouldn't be... Unusual. We can't assume that that's the case with Corona. But is there a source that you go to that you could share where you're keeping your finger on the pulse, or or is it really just kind of catch as catch can? I mean, what what could you? If there's anything you can share with, what would be the best way you would advise for for those in our audience to kind of stay in touch? And what's a trusted source? You know, I I've been so busy with this film that I have not focused on the coronavirus issue at all, other than to listen to the news as other people do and, sure. I, and to read more expert opinions online. And I, I don't think we'll ever know the truth. One, because the Chinese will never be honest with mm -hmm. us on this issue. If it were, for example, a bioweapon uh, that had gone horribly wrong, uh, or, yeah. and I don't think we'll get the full truth from our own government because there will be elements that they put under the rubric of, of uh, national security. And so we must, again, well, what the, the information that we receive is going to be somewhat sanitized. Nonetheless, we need to take it seriously. I, my approach personally is one of certainly a great deal more faith in natural approaches to dealing with viral infections, vitamins A, D, C, for example, in high dose, and containment and isolation that people that 
communities where there is an infection, the, mm -hmm. the virus needs to be contained within that community, mm -hmm. and isolation, taking those cases that are infected and isolate them until they are recovered mm -hmm. and no longer infectious. And this is the way in which, really, smallpox was ultimately defeated. Mm. Uh, we think it was the vaccine, but ultimately smallpox was defeated through this process of containment and isolation. Really? And it's been very effective in the past in dealing with viral infections, and it's one which the, of which the CDC is fully aware. So, and I have no doubt of putting in place. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that, is, that is, you know, where we are for now, but I'm no more uh, an expert on this than you or the guy right. who made our <coughs> sandwiches at lunchtime. <laughs> but it's nice to get your perspective because you have such a great historical long view of a lot of this and your knowledge is extensive and we're so grateful to you for sharing it so we'll see what happens to be continued to be continued thank you Lauren. thank you you've been listening to the andy wakefield weekly podcast a place where stories are being told that have never been heard before this is the seventh chakra films production in collaboration with brick city creative Please follow and like us while you still can on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 1986 The Act, and soon on Sphere. <laughs>